0: Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And I am so excited about this new series. As you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church at Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana, and all the hundreds or sometimes even thousands that join us online. We are so, so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. And this series... I think is going to be one of the most helpful that we're going to do in a long time. It certainly is going to apply to a bigger part of our lives than any other series that I can ever remember us doing. It's called This Time Tomorrow. So let's take a little bit of a poll, okay? What will you be doing this time tomorrow? How many of you will be at work this time tomorrow? Let me see your hands. Okay, great. How many of you will be at school this time tomorrow? Uh, How many of you are a stay-at-home mom or dad? And that's where you'll be this time tomorrow. How many of you are retired? And that's where you'll be this time uh, tomorrow. But you know I've heard about people that are retired. They say there's still so much work they're doing, they can't imagine how they ever held down a full-time job. That's what I hear from people that are retired. Um, Don't raise your hand on this one, but this is who we want to be praying for during this series. Uh, How many of you are unemployed? And, And your work right now is to find work. Or maybe there's some other category uh, in in your life. Now, we spend more time at work or school or any of these other things that I've talked about more than anything else in life. I mean, we spend more time at work than we sleep, more time at work than we play, certainly more time at work uh, than we spend at church. And so here's the question of this series. How can we find fulfillment and purpose in our work To the glory of God. How how can we find fulfillment and purpose in our work to the glory of God? Now, the key word is purpose. Purpose makes all all the difference. It makes all the difference uh, in the world whether we see our our work as having part of a higher plan and a purpose of God within our lives or or whether we just see it as an opportunity to get a paycheck. Um, I tell you, as a grandparent, I had one of the great moments of my life. Uh, This past week, and those of you who are grandparents can totally um, echo that with me. You can realize how this was such a great moment. Um, I went to the county fair with two of our granddaughters uh, this past week. And so we were talking over lunch. I'm sure we were eating something very healthy, you know, over lunch. That's all they serve at the county fair is is things things that are healthy. And so I was talking to our daughter, Kylie, our granddaughter, Kylie, who's eight years old. I said, Kylie, what, are you, what activities are you doing outside of school um, th- this fall? And she goes, well, I'm doing gymnastics, I'm doing horseback riding, I'm doing hip-hop, and I'm part of a small group. And I said, you're eight years old, you're, you're part of a, a small group, what, what are you learning in your small group? And she goes, oh, Pop Pop, uh, we're, we're learning how to find God's purpose in my life. And I'm like, that, that's just the greatest moment ever. But I'm like, you're eight years old. When I was eight years old, I was not in a small group, and I was not trying to figure out God's purpose for my life, okay? And I'm like, you're trying to find out your, God's purpose for your life. And she goes, oh, yeah, Pop-Pop. She goes, uh, you know, like it says in Acts 13, verse 36, and I'm going to read it. But she just had it memorized. I have to read it. She just, it flowed right off her tongue. You know how it says in Acts 13, verse 36. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. And I almost passed out from excitement. I, that that is great. I increased her percentage of uh, inheritance in our will, um, um, which which means she'll get an extra twenty five dollars. Is what it means. So, but this is such a great verse. I, I would love this on my tombstone. Okay, now when David, or put your name in there. Okay, Bill, Sally, um, Jose, put put your name in there. Okay, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation. You live at this time in history for a particular reason. You work where you work for a particular reason. You have, you're in your family, you're in your neighborhood, your zip code for a particular reason. Now, when put your name in there, had served God's purpose in their own generation, the place where God had placed them, He fell asleep. That is, He died, and He fell, closed His eyes on this life, and woke up in heaven, having fulfilled His purpose during His time on earth. That is as good as it gets. That That is the recipe for success uh, right there. It makes a difference in every area of our lives, including, maybe even especially, in the area of our work because that's what we spend more time doing than anything else in life. Now, one of the worst jobs in history, um, I believe, was to be in a tank in World War II. I can't imagine a worse job. I mean, you're jammed together in this tiny little space, if you have a good day at work, you live to see another day. If you have a bad day at work, you get burned alive in a metal container. Uh, man, we think our jobs are hard. How, how would like, we like to have that job? But you see, having a sense of purpose while doing that makes all the difference. Having a sense of a, that you're part of a bigger plan, a bigger purpose, makes all the difference and, and, and makes a terrible job into the best job I ever had. Now, they had a terrible job. But because they realized they were part of a master plan, something bigger, a bigger cause, a bigger purpose, which was to defeat Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, a terrible job became the best job they ever had. Best job I ever had. And that's my hope for this series, that regardless of what your your job is, when you see it as part of God's master plan, to reach the world for Christ, his master plan to bring honor and glory to him, that, that we will say, even though it may not be my ideal job, it's still the best job I ever had because it's the job that through which I can bring God honor and glory. So it's only going to be a three-part series. Three-part series, uh, next three weeks, today is when work goes right. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about when work goes wrong. Why do so many things go wrong at work? And then the third week, we'll talk about how to balance work with the rest of our lives, and then we're back into a new series uh, when we come in uh, uh, the week after that. Now, I want to start with a Latin word. And uh, boy, I made the mistake of mispronouncing this at the 830 service. I was surrounded by Latin teachers in the lobby. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just glad they didn't... Dragged me out in the parking lot and beat me to death. I'm I'm really glad. So because I know who to call if I need a Greek or a Hebrew pronunciation, I call Dr. Carl Tony who's teaching a Bible class right now on the other side of that wall. I know to call Carl. I didn't know who to call for a Latin pronunciation. So anyway, they all jumped me, and they say the V sounds like a W in, in Latin, so it's vocare, wookare, some, something like that. Okay, just you fill in the blanks in my I called it vocare, or something like that. And they're like, what? Yeah. yeah. So vocare, And it's Latin for to call. Okay, it means to be called. It's the root of our word vocation, and it means the integration of our faith and of our work. Uh, Tim Keller writes, Martin Luther and John Calvin argued that all work, even so-called secular work, was as much a calling from God as the ministry of a monk or of a priest. Now, that was radical in the Middle Ages. Everybody thought if you were really passionate about God, you became a monk in a monastery or you became a priest. But, but Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation came along and said, no, 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 anything you do, if you do it is under unto the Lord, is, is a holy high calling. Uh, my dad faced this choice when he was 40 years old, uh, five years before I was born. When I was born, my dad was 45, my mom was 40, my sisters were 14 and 9, and yet they swore to me that I was not an accident. But you do the math on that, okay? Just ask yourself the question. If you're 45 and 40 and you have a 14-year-old and a 9-year-old, who wants to have another baby? Well, and my mom, she said till the day she went to heaven, she promised me I was not an accident. But at any rate, uh, at the age of 40, my dad sat there and he had a decision to make. He had been a logger. Uh, for a number of years, a logger in World War II in Burma and then a logger here in the, in the west up in northern California in different places. And then he was a forester for many years uh, after he got his master's degree in forestry. And at the age of 40, he had a chance to start a lumber company. And these non-Christ followers were just so impressed with my dad and his business partner. They just saw him as, as people of character and integrity, and they just had a hunk of money. And they said, you know what, we want to set you up. We want you to start your own lumber company. So my dad had that opportunity. Yet at the same time, the pastor of our church was pressuring my dad to become a pastor. He said, You are called to be a pastor. I want you to go back to school at the age of 40 and come out and be a pastor. And so he had these these two choices in front of him: start a lumber company or become a pastor. And he felt called by God to go into business rather than into the ministry. And he and he used to tell me, he says, you know, Glenn, as much as you felt called to be a pastor, that's the calling I felt to go into the business world. Now, this is the Lutheran tradition. Which is when when we work, we are the fingers of God. Uh, Last week, I talked about the Fuller School of Psychology being here across the street and how excited we are and the benefit of that. Well, I tell you, Fuller moving here to Pomona, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. And there's another part of Fuller called the Dupree Center. And it's named after Max Dupree, who is the former CEO of the Herman Miller Company, which is considered one of the most effective companies in all of American history. And he was a member of the Fortune Magazine's National Business Hall of Fame. And he was known for being an on-fire Christian that just tried to run his company like Jesus would run a company. And he was just passionate about figuring out, how can I integrate my faith and my work? How can, in this position God has has planted me in, how can I live Jesus in that position? So Fuller named this center of study, the Dupree Center, as part of Fuller Seminary. And so as a result, there are going to be students across the street from us representing all vocations, not just pastors and missionaries. But a lot of people in Hollywood do this. And many people in a lot of different vocations, what they do is they come to Fuller to get a a, a biblical understanding of how God can use their vocation, their high calling, in order to glorify God. And we're going to have a lot of those students right across the street from us, and it's going to be accessible to us as a church family, the resources there uh, as well. Now, I, I put down there eight approaches that people have taken to how you can serve God at work and what I would encourage you to do is either right now rank them in the order that they apply to your job or you going to school or you in retirement or you as a stay-at-home mom or dad I want you to rank them in order uh, maybe even add a couple that I didn't put down there and add a couple that apply uh, to your job but rank them uh, either right now or do it later on uh, let me give you eight as examples Uh, One approach is the way to serve God at work is to further justice in the world. And this certainly applies to those of you in law enforcement or those of you in social work. Uh, It certainly applies to you. You're seeking to honor God by furthering justice. And so police officers and and social workers, man, and then many others, that's what you're called to do. Here's another one. The way to serve God at work is to be personally honest and share Jesus with your co-workers. Now, this is very important, this personally honest part. If you don't have a good reputation at work, do us a favor. Don't share about Jesus at work. Okay, Your pastor's telling you, don't talk about Jesus. Okay, If we're known for not working very hard or cutting corners or not being honest and not being people of character and integrity. But this is really what oikos is all about, our favorite Greek word. Uh, here at, at Purpose Church, uh, the Greek word for household, the 8 to 15, in your sphere of influence, including those at work. And so oikos is all about living, in a, it's a person of integrity and character, and then on that bridge, on that foundation, sharing Jesus with your coworkers. Uh, another approach is the way to serve God at work is to do skillful, excellent work. And there's what we appreciate, I think, of car mechanics. I appreciate that when I go to a car mechanic, uh, they do skillful work so that my car runs when it didn't used to run. Uh, this certainly applies to those of you that are in nursing, those of you that are nurses, or those of you that are in medicine, that you do skillful work and that enables people uh, to be healthier. And so that's one way to serve God. Here's another approach. The way to serve God at work is to create beauty. Now this you would think wouldn't apply to too many of the jobs, but, but it does to many of your jobs Um, Shane Grammer, who's going to be at the 1111 service, he is a renowned um, uh, painter, sculptor, does props for Hollywood. And so one of the ways he seeks to serve God is to create a beauty. It certainly applies to any of you that work in the entertainment field. Our sound man, Jeremy Reinders, uh, this is his uh, weekend job to be our sound person but he, during the week, works for, for Disneyland. And Disney actually made a little promo about his, his work. But I love that. Every role has a starring role. That's their, their culture at, at Disney. But uh, the culture of Christ's followers is every role has a purposeful role. Okay, Every role is a purposeful role. Everything we do serves a grander purpose of God's plan in, in the world. Uh, Here's another one. The way to serve God at work is to work from a Christian motivation to glorify God, seeking to engage and influence culture to that end. Uh, Certainly people in education, uh, school teachers, when, when you were going back to teach school after summer, when you were getting back into the classroom, I'm sure that first day you were walking into that classroom going, I am motivated today to glorify God, seeking to engage and influence culture to that end. I'm sure you teachers were doing that, right, you know? No, you're doing, I, just, but but really, that's what you're doing. You are influencing culture. Nobody influences culture more than those of you that, that teach or are involved in education in some way. Now, here's another one. The way to serve God at work is to work with a joyful, gospel-changed heart through all the ups and downs. This is part of our witness. People watch us going through the hard times and the good times, the stressful times and the not-so-stressful times, And and they see Christ within you as you do that. Uh, Here's another one. The way to serve God at work is to do whatever gives you the greatest joy and passion. Reminds me of the movie Chariots of Fire with Eric Little. And even I realize I've shown that too much, and so we're not going to look at it right now. Okay, (laughs) Even I picked up. You you guys have that memorized now. You could lip-sing the whole thing. Remember what he says? When I run, I feel his pleasure, okay? When I run, I feel his pleasure. And so for you, when when you nail a nail, you feel his pleasure. When you cut a board, you feel his pleasure. When you take care of a patient, you, you feel his pleasure. Um, whatever it is that you do at work, when you make a sales transaction, you feel his pleasure. Uh, you accountants, when you balance a ledger, you feel his pleasure. When you work with numbers, you feel his pleasure. And so do the thing that gives you joy and passion because God is, is, is enjoys that work through you, and he's glorified. And then the eighth one is the way to serve God at work is to make as much money as you can so that you can be as generous as you can. This is my favorite one for each of you. Okay, I just want you to know, this is like a pastor's uh, favorite one. This is my personal favorite. But seriously, John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church, um, he, he did what was called, he stated this quote, which was what we call the Protestant work ethic. Work as hard as you can so you can make all you can, save all you can, so you can give away all that you can. And that's called the Protestant work ethic. Make all you can, save all you can, give away all that you can. And historians have demonstrated that the Protestant work ethic, when Christ has come, is preached in a certain country and people begin to follow Christ and follow that Protestant work ethic, it transforms nations. Everybody rises in their prosperity when people have the attitude, make all you can, save all you can, and give away all that you can. For individual people, a sociologist tell us, this is what's called the upward mobility of people coming to Christ. The sociologists talk about when a person comes to Christ, and begins to begin to work the way they can to glorify God, and then save what they can, and then be generous to other people, that person begins to rise socioeconomically uh, because of that particular approach to life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Paul says, "'Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord.'" Now the work of the Lord I'm maintaining in this series is not just teaching Sunday school, that's important. Not just serving as a parking lot greeter, that's important. Not just being, uh, you know, an usher, that's important. Not just rocking babies in the nursery, that's important. But the work of the Lord includes what you do this time tomorrow as well as what you are doing today. And so this series is going to try to answer three questions. Uh, Number one why do you want to work? Why is there something within you that likes to work? But on the other hand, that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday, why is work so hard? You know, why why is it so annoying sometimes? Why are the people at work so annoying sometimes? And then number three, how can we overcome the difficulties and find satisfaction in our work through the gospel? And so the Bible gives us a radical design for work. And and we don't realize, sometimes we're so familiar with the Bible, we don't realize how radical it is or was in the context of when it was written. We just take for granted so many of the ways we look at life because of the Scripture's influence within our culture. For example, in ancient cultures, almost always work was seen as demeaning. Nobody thought work was a good or honorable thing. As a matter of fact, the ancient Greeks and their culture their goal was unemployment, and I don't mean just retirement, okay, not being able to work after years of working. No, no, their, their goal, they said the perfect life would be one in which you never lifted a finger your whole life to work, but you just sat around thinking deep thoughts all the time. That, that would be the perfect life, and work was seen as demeaning just for people that just had to do it. And you come in contrast to that is God's word, which from the very beginning honors work, it even goes so far as to say that God likes to work. And because we're made in His image, that's why we like to work. Uh, Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, He rested from all the work of creating That he had done. And then skipping down to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And so it is in our DNA to want to work. I'll quickly add something so that you're not disappointed. I believe we're gonna work in heaven. Now, it's without the hassle, without the irritating boss, without the annoying co worker. Without the downside. What's the downside of your work? Can you imagine if you eliminated all that, or if the only part of your work you did was the part that you enjoyed and that you were passionate about? Our, in our high school ministry, Pastor Eric is doing a seven part series on heaven to high schoolers. Seven part series on heaven. And I'm sure one of the things he'll include is that think of the work you enjoy the most. What's the thing you enjoy? Or maybe think of your hobby as a job. How many of you would like your hobby? as a job and that's what's going to be for eternity i I know this sounds crazy and you're going to think i'm joking i'm actually completely serious my dream of heaven is that it's a giant episode of star trek that's that's what i envision heaven to be where you just spend all of eternity exploring the universe and when you get to unknown planets you build something you build a civilization you build something there and then you move on to the next planet uh, just Captain Kirk for eternity. That's that's what my dream is. Now the Hebrew word here, the continents are M L K H, which is uh, it's the Hebrew word for ordinary human work, and it's pronounced Malacca. Uh, Genesis one verse thirty one, God saw all that He had made, sat back after a six day after a period of time of six days of work, and He sits back and He says, "It's very good." He looks back at His work and He said that. Was good. He looked on his work with satisfaction. And he didn't just work and then stop. He continues to work. Psalm 104, verses 10 through 15. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. Uh, verse 11, it says, They give water to all the beasts of the field. Uh, verse 12, the birds of the sky nest by the waters, they sing among the branches. Verse 13, He, God, waters the mountains from His upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of Of his work, he makes grass grow in verse 14. Let's go to verse 15. Verse 15, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their heart. So God not only worked, but he continues to work. It says in Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. He is continuing his work through us. Uh, Ben Witherington um, writes, it is perhaps clear That God's good plan always included human beings working or more specifically living in the constant cycle of work and of rest. Jesus said in John 5 verse 17, My father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. Uh, Tim Keller uh, writes, Work is one of the ways we make ourselves useful to others rather than just living a life for ourselves. Also, work is one of the ways we discover who we are because it is through work that we come to understand our distinct abilities and gifts, a major component in our identities. Um, The next quote is by Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers says, What is the Christian understanding of work? It is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he offers himself to God. And then my favorite quote is by Martin Luther King Jr. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job, who did his job well. Uh, I want to finish with Exodus 20, verse 19, and, and, and you can read the, the last few points there and there's scripture that goes with it, so let's kind of use that as homework assignment, okay? Those last few points with the scripture, I think it'll be self-explanatory, and then list those eight things as they apply to your work or maybe add a couple more so you get a top ten list and rank them in order as to, as to how you see your work as glorifying God. But it's an interesting thing about Exodus 20, verse 9. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And we tend to ignore this first part with the se- because of the second part. Uh, the second part says, but on the seventh day, one day out of seven, it's the Sabbath principle. It doesn't have to be Saturday. It says in the New Testament it can be any day. But you pick one day out of seven uh, to, to worship God, to study His Word, uh, and to rest. Okay, so you pick it and it can be a different thing. I know for some of you and your work schedules, it has to be a different day. For me, it's Monday rather than Sunday. And for you, if you're in nursing and you have a shift or whatever, you you name your profession, uh, sometimes uh, it can't be on Sunday, so it needs to be on another day. But here's what we forget. Part of the Ten Commandments is not just and on the seventh day, rest and honor God. Part of the Ten Commandments is is six days you shall labor and do all your work. And so he's commanded us and called us to work in a way that will honor and glorify Jesus and draw people to Jesus and bring glory and fulfill his ultimate purpose within our lives. So when you walk into work or into school or into retirement or when you when you, when you teach your kids at home and uh Uh, or or when you take care of your kids at home, stay at home mom or stay at dad, this time tomorrow, think to yourself, I am doing God's work every bit as much as what I did this time yesterday. 11 o'clock tomorrow, you're doing God's work just as much as what you did at 10 or 11 o'clock on Sunday morning.